Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald podcast whiz and the man from Massachusetts himself, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going? Will, it's going great. It's draft week, uh, quite possibly the best week of the year in the NBA season, and definitely the best for a Kings fan, at least for the last 15 years when there's been no playoffs. It's been, you know, get through the finals, get me to the draft, we're finally there, so... Excited to talk about it on the podcast today. As we are coming down the home stretch, we got a couple of guests uh, to, to entertain you all with today. Um, our first one, he's a Sacramento Kings draft figurehead, lover of all things apricot, Bryant West. Bryant, thanks for coming on today, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. I'll echo Tony there that uh, this is my favorite time of the basketball season. Uh, that's a pretty sad statement, honestly. I know that to be a fact, but it's been 15 years of this and we can't escape it yet. Our second guest today is the host of the King's Pulse podcast, Jemias Ramsey, super fan and hairless cat hater, Brendan Nunes. Brendan, how's it going today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm just here to spread my Franz Wagner propaganda. So, And that's why we're going to mute you early and often. <laughs> Jerry, um, you're the last but not least former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM and color analyst, the general manager of a WNBA champion, Indiana basketball hall of famer and the ultimate true pride of French like himself. Jerry, welcome back on the podcast. How's it going today? Well, it's really, really neat to be a, this a wonderful panel of a very knowledgeable basketball people. And I'll try not to get in the way, but I will, of course, but I'll try not to. <laughs> we have truly drafted the super team here today. So uh, this podcast is going to be long. It's longer than a Kings Forever comment. So let's jump right in. Um, we're now 72 hours until the draft. Kings have been rumored to be looking at everyone up and down all our draft boards. They've been rumored to be looking at every available player on the planet for a trade. Jerry, my first question is to you as a former general manager, as we're coming down the home stretch here, um, give us a read on what's going on to the Kings war room with just a couple of days to go. What do you think is going on with Monty McNair? What are they doing or what would you assume that they're doing uh, this close to the lead into the draft? Well, I mean, I think they're, they're basically preparing for the pick uh, number one and uh, really trying to assess what two or three guys will be there. And then uh, hopefully uh, there's one guy they like better than the others. I mean, it's, it's always the case and, and invariably someone will slip, slip to that position that maybe you hadn't expected and what do you do there type thing. So, so I think that in addition to, I would assume uh, really keeping the, uh, the, the phone's working. I mean, uh, I, I think you'd have to be really talking about every team in the league about what the value of that pick is, as well as a couple of the King's assets or semi assets as the case may be uh, to, to improve your team, because uh, that's the bottom line. You know, these guys know, I mean, this team's got to get better and the ninth pick, whoever it is, uh, is it's a little hard to get all excited about that making moving the needle very much sure so let's uh let's talk about those top three guys only because we've heard kind of three names more than we've heard all the others uh, I, I hope i hope you guys agree that uh, moses moody has been one that's been talked about um the turkish uh, uh power forward center alperin shangun is the uh, second 
And then third is uh, the guy that I don't want to talk about today, but Brendan Nunes is going to talk about in detail, uh, Franz Wagner. So, uh, Jerry, first of all, do you see that as, as who the Kings should be eyeing themselves on? Uh, uh, and, and if so, then we'll push it over to Brian and Brendan to see whether or not they, uh, they like those guys, if those are the three correct guys that the Kings should be eyeing on to begin with. Yeah, I think, too, from uh, reading these guys and following other, others, I think that probably is. I, I think there is a slim chance Kuminga uh, could, could fall. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's some, you know, skill level concerns there. And, uh, you know, uh, so, so there's that. So I, I think that that's probably who, who you should be focusing on. And uh, uh, your pick is probably going to come from those three guys. Sure. Brian, let's go to you first. I know you're the Moses Moody uh, mafia uh, capo right here. So uh, talk, talk about uh, a little bit, convince, convince my audience as if they're not the same audience that you talk to a couple nights a week. What, what's Mo, uh, Moses Moody's case for, for the ninth pick here? You know, I think that Moses Moody is the right balance for a Sacramento Kings team that's clearly trying to make the playoffs sooner rather than later. Um, I think he's both a guy who could give you real solid bench minutes um, pretty quickly in his, in his career while also having a pretty high ceiling. Um, I always see three and D wings getting labeled with the safe label. And I just can't understand how somebody looks at an 18 year old who led an sec team in scoring while being one of the better three point shooters in the lottery and think that we're just going to put a cap on what he can accomplish in the NBA. Um, but honestly, I think he is a, a very good fit in terms of both spacing the floor for De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, um, being a physical defender who can guard uh, a whole bunch of different wings and forwards in a couple of years. Um, clearly, he's got to get stronger. I think he's really got to work on his handling ability to really become a, a three-level scorer. Um, but I think that he probably is my favorite combination of skills uh, at this spot. And, you know, I'm not a dude who always overly cares about fit as long as somebody plays well alongside De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. I couldn't care less about fit, honestly. But I think that Moses Moody fits this team's timeline. I think he fits really well with De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. And in my opinion, he is arguably the best player available who could be there at number nine. Do you see him as a, as a small forward in, in his career in the NBA? I know he's 6'6". I know he's only 211 pounds. Uh, he's got kind of a questionable uh, ball handling ability for somebody who might be a shooting guard or a starting quality guy in the NBA. Do you see him going forward as a small forward in the NBA or is he more of a shooting guard combo? I think he is a guy who can play both. I don't want to limit him to one position because I think that's a little reductive, but I definitely think he is going to be big enough um, and long enough, like seven, one wingspan, 205 pounds at the combine clearly needs to get stronger, but you can say that about every dude coming into the league. Um, and Eric Musselman said on the Deuce and Mopod a couple of days ago that he really thinks that Moses Moody's natural position at this level is uh, as a small forward. And I think he probably has a better indication of Moses Moody's potential in the league than I do. So, and I'll just note that uh, averaged 5.8 rebounds a game at Arkansas, second on the team in rebounds. He is a he plays a lot bigger when it comes to the boards. And I think that's where you can really see his physicality, which kind of tells me he's going to be that tough dude who isn't afraid 
to uh, hang with taller players. Jerry, do you see any issues with a, a guy who's six six and right now isn't necessarily the uh, the thickest tree in the forest um, playing small forward going forward in the future? I mean, maybe not this year, but in in years ahead. No, none at all. None at all. I I, I would have twenty years ago, uh, but not today. I mean, Kale Bridges, uh, T.J. Warren, uh, Kelly Oubre. I mean, you can go on and on. I mean, this is a it's a wing league, and as long as you can sort of guard them. And, and get uh, long rebounds <laughs> for the most part. That's what you're talking about. So no, not at all. We are the team that ran Buddy Heald out for, for, for more than a few possessions as a small forward this year. So uh, that's not really a concern of mine either, but we have, <laughs> that's one of the big complaints that I see of Moses Moody. It's like, well, we're picking another shooting guard. What are we going to do with that? And I, I, I agree with you guys there that, uh, that Moses would be perfectly fine. As, as a small forward, maybe not this year, he might get bodied a little bit, maybe two or three years down the road, he could be a guy that could do that. Um, Brian, there's one more thing that we need to talk about with Moses Moody real quick, and that's his birthday. Could you, uh, could you explain that a little bit? <laughs> I didn't know this until we saw it on King's Reddit, but somebody pointed out that his birthday was game six of the 2002 uh, Western Conference Finals. Ooh. So yeah, somebody pointed out, um, I forget how, it, it was a cute little narrative that uh, basically said, uh, what if the dude who really helps the Kings finally break the playoff streak was born on the uh, worst day in Kings history? God may have you know, just deemed it necessary. Go, for, <laughs> go forth, young man, and save the <laughs> Kings. <laughs> Brendan, let's uh, let's let's uh, let's get the flip side of this only because I know you guys argue about this in chat. I know you guys have both written uh, fantastic articles about these gentlemen. So, talk to me then. Make the case for Franz Wagner as as your uh, small forward, power forward going forward. I think you just felt Franz more on the defensive end of the floor than you did Moody. And I don't want to take anything away from Moody as a defender. I can already feel Bryant getting annoyed by that statement because um, <laughs> Moody's a very good defender. It's just a size difference when you're talking six sticks to comparably Franz who said today that he's six eleven, um, and you know, they have a similar wingspan. I would say, I would guess Franz has a little bit more, but there was no official uh, listed measurement for Franz. Um, but he still moves his feet well. So I think he can guard threes and fours. Um, like I said, you just felt him so much on the defensive end of the floor. I think he's going to be one of the guys in the league that um, is top in deflections per game, like a Robert Covington, you know, thigh bowl sort of thing. Um, Drew, Drew Holiday, kind of like, I, I think he just has great hands like that. It reminds me of Iguodala at times when guys are driving in um, like weak side rim protection was really good. And I think that, um, you know, the whole, is he a three or a four? I don't think it really matters. And to me, I think you just want him off the ball, ideally. And I think this is why the Harrison Barnes pairing works so well, because I think the best aspect of Barnes's defense is on ball defense rather than off. So say you're playing the Clippers and it's just PG, I'd rather put Barnes on PG and then let Wagner play this free safety esque where he's causing uh, havoc and chaos in the back. And I think that if you have um, Wagner, Fox, and Halliburton all doing that, you can really have a disruptive defense that way. Even if you don't have great defenders, if you're pesky and annoying and you have good instincts like that, like that trio does, I think it could lead to a lot of transition opportunities. Um, so I, I think Wagner is going to be just one of the better defenders in the league eventually. And, and you know, I, I'm totally buying into the upside of his defense, uh, uh, probably high percentile outcome, but I, I think that the versatility and awareness is totally there. And then on offense, you know, some people question the shot. 
because he shot 21% in the tournament and airballed that big shot at the very end, right? Um, but before that, he shot 39% on the year. The year before, he shot 31% from deep. Um, throughout Europe, he shot 38 on upwards of 100-something attempts. So I, I think that at very least, he's a respectable shooter in like a Robert Covington, Jay Crowder sort of way, where at very least, you have to get out there and guard the guy, even if he's not knocking it down like crazy. Um, and even aside from that, you know, he's a really good passer. I think he's a jack of all trades, master of none, almost Harrison Barnes esque on the offensive end of the floor. So I, I really value these no weaknesses, well-rounded players like this. And I, I really think the Kings could use a defensive disruptor. Um, and I, I like the size and versatility that Bogner brings. So do you really think that he's uh, more of a linchpin to a defense than he is just a complimentary piece on a defense, Brendan? I think that he helps improve your defense, but I don't think that he's like Scotty Barnes or Draymond Green, where he is the anchor to your defense. Jerry, is there a, is there a player that I don't know how much film you've watched of Franz Wagner, but is there a player that you you see that he could end up becoming? And do you think that this is my concern with Franz, and I try not to be too too uh, chatty about it out loud because I'm I'm lower on Franz Wagner than than almost everybody in Sacramento. But is there a guy that, that he reminds you of at all? And do you think that Franz Wagner being kind of, at least in my mind, shy on the offensive end, do you think this is somebody that the Kings could use and that he could be successful in Sacramento where he's not exactly a, an, an explosive guy on offense and still pretty thin and, and there's a lot of unknowns with him, Jerry? I'm sorry, I'm rambling here a little bit, but I'm curious as to your thoughts on Franz Wagner. We'll go there. Well, I, I start with, uh, you know, just the eye test uh, with me. I, I, I like uh, the idea that I think he could guard fours in the league. Uh, you know, I think uh, he might be, you know, undersized early on in his career in some ways, but I, I think he's big enough and strong enough for most of it. I mean, because they play away from the basket for the most part. And and I and I do see, certainly agree with uh, uh, Brendan, you know, he's a three, four. Uh, and I think that's his value. Uh, and I think defensively, I think he does have some potential to be pretty good. Uh, you know, my, in some ways he, he reminds me a little bit of Gordon Hayward. I don't think he's that good. Uh, you know, now he's a little different off, certainly not the same caliber offensive player as Gordon was in uh, college. Uh, Gordon was a little bit of a late developer and he grew late. Uh, but but the, the negative is he also reminds me, and I, I, the name doesn't come to me, uh, the guy I know Vladi liked for a while, the, the foreign guy that Orlando had, the 6'8". Uh, Hito Turgaloo? No, no, Hito. <laughs> if he's as good as Hito, well, take him. I was about to say something, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> take him. I, I bet, yeah, I can't think of the damn guy's oh, name. Uh, but Mario Hazonia? Hazonia. Yeah, and I just, I just never, you know, and I would come at Vladi, you, you really, what do you see there? What do you keep, sure. you know, and, and Azonia thought he was a star and, and you know, sure. that was a extra flaw. But so I think that sort of is the downside, but I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I don't like him as good as, as well as Moses Moody's put it that way. Yeah, that's just that's just me. I'm sorry. Sorry, Brendan, but uh, we'll probably never be friends again, but uh uh, my, my fear with with Franz, especially, I mean, it sounds nice that he he thinks he's six eleven, and I and I hope for his sake that he is. But he almost sometimes he he might be too slow to guard threes and might be too thin to guard fours. And where that can be used as an advantage in some situations, I fear that just exactly on the other end of the court, he'll get bodied one way or another. Love you, will. Uh, but Brian, I think you're crazy. Some, 
Yeah, that's fine. I am, I'm, I'm certainly crazy because I I advocated very strongly for Alexei Pokashevsky last year, who is the thinnest human being on earth. I have lamps that are that are thicker than Alexei Pokashevsky. Brian, you looked like you were going to say something there about Franz, and I want you to help defend Brendan while while uh, while I try not to trash him. I was more chuckling at the idea of of Will Griffith. Uh, having the audacity of, of complaining about a player who may be <laughs> undersized to play one position and maybe too slow to play another. <laughs> I am uh, large and contain multitudes to quote Walt, Walt Whitman. <laughs> um, no, I agree with Brendan that uh, if you go back and, and watch a bunch of Franz's tape, Michigan put him on so many different kinds of players that I, I, I do think that his range is going to shrink at the NBA. You can say that about every single one of these defenders. Um, but I, I do have confidence that Franz Wagner is going to be a key piece of an, of a defensive plan that can be pretty versatile and switch him onto different looks. Now he's got to get bigger. We all know that, um, but he's just 19. So we can say about all these dudes, though. I got a question about Franz, and I guess uh, Brennan can answer this first, and maybe if Brian has something else to add, he can go for it too. But uh, I think every team wants Franz Wagner, right? Who doesn't want like a wing defender um, that who can play multiple positions and is a complementary offensive player? I want him on the Kings as well. Where I struggle with him sometimes is if I want him at nine, if there's players with uh, higher offensive potential on the board. So if if Wagner's only a uh, 12 points per game, complimentary player, and uh, a very good defensive player, but not maybe, uh, you know, top, all defensive second team or third team. If he doesn't reach that tier, is he worth it for a rebuilding team who kind of needs a lot um, to pick at nine? I'll say I just, like, I think they should be a rebuilding team, but they're kind of not. You know, they're they're trying to win. And I think that what it comes down to for me is that, like, I thought the whole year that this was the the draft where they added the third cog around Fox and Halliburton. Um, but to me, they just won too many games, kind of. Like, I think you put yourself out of the range where I'm comfortable taking a risk on an upside swing because I just don't feel like you can completely strike out. Like, this is one of the few assets you have, um, and I really worry that you could be striking out with some of these guys. So that that's just why, like, you know, if, if I were to prefer an upside swing, like, I think is the impression I get you guys do. I would like Shingun. It's just that I, I kind of prefer to take this pick safer because I just don't think you can get nothing. I'll just quickly add that I agree that it's not likely that Franz Wagner is ever going to be a, a top, even two scorer on a, on a good team that it's just not in his um, on his tape. He doesn't look like that kind of player, but at the same time, like, the NBA has proven to us the dude with size who has a dribble pass shoot defend combination, like five of the best players on the finals court were wings who have some varying degree of those skill sets. So um, is this dude going to be an all-star? I don't know. He'd have to go really high up his defensive uh, potential to hit that range. Um, But I definitely think that he whoever gets him is going to love him and he's going to be a meaningful part of their franchise. Um, but I, I, I understand going for higher upside swings. Is there, is there any concern that he's kind of, cause he seems very, very one-handed to me, not necessarily Marvin Bagley, you know, single-handed, but he does seem to lack ball handling on with both hands. He does seem to be a little bit hesitant to, to, to make moves on that left side. 
is there any concern that he he just can he can he succeed and also not be a guy who can ball handle that well while also being a, a, a large three in the league? Yeah, when I was watching, I never felt like his he didn't go left because he wasn't comfortable with it. It felt like Michigan just had a lot of like scheming him downhill to his right. Um, he had some closeouts, and I think most of his attacks are going to be either catching the ball, you know, off a screen coming downhill already, or attacking a closeout. And like I think the handles enough for that, you know, where you're not really dealing with pressure. Um, you're just in a secondary secondary action, um, and, and I think like that's a fine point for Franz, and that's also where the ceiling is, right? And that's why it's a lower upside type player because I think he does remain complementary there um, for that reason. But I, I never felt like when I was watching him like. Oh, he didn't try that because he's not comfortable with his left hand. You know, the, the one thing, one thing that struck me on him and, and I'm, you know, you know him way better, but when he did put the ball in his left hand, it seemed to me like a lot of times he'd get it out too far, a little further in front of him than he did with the right hand, which made it even tougher for him to gather up for the jump shot, you know? And I mean, now that's, you know, that's a small thing. That's not like you can't correct that with in six months. But uh, it, it did seem like a, a flaw, you know, that made it awfully difficult, even though he could get places. Uh, it took a little longer to gather up. Jerry, I'm curious, do you think that um, we talk a lot about ceiling and floor and best pick available versus fit and everything else like that? But do you feel like Franz Wagner is, is I guess, to kind of go off of Tony, is he good enough if, if, his, if he reaches his ceiling and other players that, that are around that same area reach their ceilings do you feel like Franz Wagner is good enough to justify that pick do you feel like he's good enough if he hits his floor and and others do like I'm curious as to where your thoughts are on that well I don't think he'll miss I don't think he'll miss uh you know and that's always the 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 first step and it's like I think uh Grant mentioned I mean what you don't want is you that you can't miss in this draft Uh, you have to have a have an asset out of it and I, I think I think he could be an asset. Is he, you know, the best asset you can have? I'm not sure about that uh, at all. Uh, but but I mean, I, I don't think he'd be a miss at all. And uh, probably Kings fans would uh, like him pretty quickly. Uh, I like Mo- Moody better. I like Sinjin better. Uh, uh, you know, I just do. And uh, uh, that and could be proven thousand percent wrong because I don't know enough. But uh, you know, like I say, I, I still think the, the 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 most talented guy, probably in my mind, is still is still Davion Mitchell. Sure. Uh, he just doesn't. I mean, the Kings don't need him, and sure. he's small. But I, the little son of a bitch, stays in front of you, and you can't, and he can get past you. And and boy, in the league, that that uh, sells. <laughs> I mean, somebody's going to get a little little bitch i'm telling you he's gonna he's he's i think he's gonna find a way to play that's all i i really do but i i you know you know you you know it's it's not like uh we've all talked about you know uh basically best player available but but when the best player available might not be very much better if at all and and not fit any of your needs then that that's a different circumstance. And that's what we're talking about. I mean, Moody and, and Wagner so far, both of them fit. Both of them fit a need because the Kings have tremendous needs everywhere except yeah. at guard. Yeah. <laughs> Brendan, Brian, I'm curious about your uh, perspective on Davion Mitchell, only because he's been rumored to go as high as seven and he's been, you know, he can fall to 14 or 15 or 16. So I'm curious of what your takes are on him and 
and and what do you see that jerry also sees in this guy and and what is jerry missing because because jerry isn't seeing all the tape what do you guys got <laughs> <'Cause for Jerry. laughs> you know i i'm sorry to do this can i rewind it real quick and ask one closing question to jerry on franz so Jerry, a bunch of people have concerns that Franz is too passive on offense. Um, I, I think that it could be to me, rather than describing it as passive, I felt like it was, he would pass up a good look because he was looking for a great look. Um, and sometimes, you know, he would pass up the best look that that would end up being possible in that possession. Um, is that something that like worries you in a player or to me, does it feel like something that you can write off as he was just playing his role where he was the third guy in an offense? Like, when you hear a player is is passive on offense or maybe was just playing their role, like is that something that concerns you? Only slightly. I mean, it, it would concern me if he was 25 years old. Uh, but, you know, I mean, uh, he's, he's young enough. And in many cases, stuff like that really involves coach going saying, shoot the damn ball, you know. I mean, be aggressive or I'll, or I'll bench your ass. You know, I mean, really. It, it, isn't, it really isn't that complicated. I think with uh, Michigan, he, it seemed to me like he really was trying to fit in, you know, you know, be the, be the, the, the good teammate. And, and that's a better quality to have. I think that's harder to, to, to get guys to adjust to that, uh, you know, that come into the draft to some, some of them than it is to make them more, more aggressive offensively. Now, as you pointed out, I mean, being aggressive defensively, it's, that's a lot harder to get guys to do. It's been my experience anyway. So yeah, I guess to answer your question, I, I put it pretty low on the chart. So Brendan and Brian, uh, let's let's hear about Davion Mitchell for a second here, just so that, that just so that we can get it out. That's Jerry's homer pick. Yeah, you gotta you gotta put me in my place. Put me in my place. <laughs> <laughs> now you know I loved watching Davion Mitchell this year, especially. Um, as uh, a St. Mary's graduate who enjoyed watching Davion Mitchell just carve up Gonzaga in the championship game. Um, he's the type of player I always gravitate to, like the high motor defense guys the, you know, you Jerry call him a little son of a bitch. I like that. It's a really good uh, descriptive of him. I mean, we all know the Kings desperately need defense. Um, he's a truly awesome point of attack defender. He was the captain and driving force of one of the better squads in recent memory. My concern with him is, is pretty much only in two areas. One, I think he's a little short, but we all know that. Um, doesn't mean that short point guards haven't thrived in this league before. I just think that his defensive range is a little shorter than the guys he's getting compared to. Like Marcus Smart's a couple inches taller and longer than he is. Um, the other concern, and this is my real one, is that this year he shot 44% from three, and I do not believe that he is anywhere close to that level of shooter. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to be an okay shooter in the league and be like capable uh, on a good offense, but he shot 31% from three in those first two years. Um, his free throw numbers stayed in the 60s pretty much his entire career. Um, so he's less of a surefire shooter than I'd like in a lottery pick. And to me, that's one of the few fit concerns that I would have next to De'Aaron Fox. If I'm going to take another guard, it has to be somebody that I trust can help space the floor when it's, when it's, when the ball's not in his hands. And I, I do worry about Davion Mitchell's shooting. Brendan, it's your turn to attack. Do you have anything for us? 
Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that you're betting on a really high percentage outcome when it comes to his defense. Like, I, I buy it, but the guys his size is Patrick Beverly, Eric Bledsoe, and I don't know who else that are really like high end defenders in the league, you know. And you know, you you have to point out like you saw Davion Mitchell guarding Cade Cunningham and doing a good job. So I think that he's given you reason to buy into betting that outlier um, situation becoming a thing. But you know, same concerns as Brian. I, I don't think that he's an elite shooter necessarily. Like I, I think he's good on that end. Um, and I buy that he's going to be a high level defender. It's just how versatile is he going to be? Is he going to be a pesky guy like Beverly that is somehow able to guard threes at times? Um, I'm not really sure. So I kind of just have him in this big tier after nine. That's uh, going to be seven guys or so when it comes to the Kings, like uh, positionally, I, I just would rather look towards usually a wing and uh, I guess a big man. I'm sure we'll get there. We'll get there. All right. <laughs> let's uh, in fact, let's, let's go there now, Tony, why don't you talk to me a little bit only so that way I seem a little less partial about this. Um, we'll, we'll feign partiality here a little bit and, and talk to me about um, Alperin Shangun a little bit and uh, his play and, and why, why he might be the pick there at number nine. Well, uh, Shangun, and I'm going to say this and, and Bryant and Brendan can call me out if I'm wrong, but he has the best pedigree, I think, of anybody in the draft this year, just in terms of, you know, raw accomplishments for a young player, MVP of a very good league in Turkey production at or above anyone else in the draft. Now we can say that uh, maybe they're not as valuable because of his competition. Others will say it's more valuable because of his competition because he's against um, other professional players who uh, are, you know, grown men strong and, and all that. Of course, there's uh, the counter to that is that, you know, maybe some of the guys weren't as, as long or as big as guys like Evan Mobley or who uh, Shen Goon will play in the NBA. But his production offensively is what excites everybody hasn't been a shooter yet. And uh, depending on who you read, they will tell you that is because he hasn't had to. And he won the MVP uh, in a very good league in Turkey, relying mostly on his finishing ability, which is insane. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think he finishes something like 74% of his shots in the paint. Some, some wildly efficient number when you get him the ball uh, close to the basket, um, but his free throw shooting and he gets the line a lot, which is another pro but his free throw shooting is some indication that he will be a good shooter at the next level. He's shown some ability to shoot in workouts. I know um, workouts are what they are, but I've definitely been the guy on YouTube watching his empty gym <laughs> workouts and seeing his stroke and getting excited about Shen Goon being this player that can uh, be a true, um, maybe not number one, number two offensive player on a very good team. Uh, Cause I don't know if he has like the one-on-one -on -one ability that you need from like a end of the game De'Aaron Fox type, you know, go get me a bucket guy. Although there are guys like Jokic or DeMarcus Cousins who you could dump the ball off into the post at the end of games and get to the free throw line or get buckets that way. But he's not like a break you down off the dribble kind of guy. Um, and obviously the biggest concern with him is the defense. And he, he might be undersized as a center. He might be a little bit, um, he's a strong guy, but he's not overly long. And we don't know how he would deal with NBA physicality. Uh, there are There is an outcome with him where he's a horrible defensive player. I don't think that would be the case, but I know that's what the naysayers will say that, you know, there's an, there's a chance here that you draft a guy at nine who just can't defend anybody. And I, I think it'd be irresponsible to not consider that as a potential outcome for him. So I think when you're doing pros and cons for all these players, you, you, I mean, to be fair, you can say that there's a, there's a version of Shen Goon who is uh, unplayable in the playoffs, unplayable at the end of games because of his defense. Um, but I do think if you're asking my opinion, and I don't think you have will, but I would just say that he is, uh, 
he is someone who can be a better offensive player than anyone we've talked about yet, uh, Moses Moody or Franz Wagner. And if you are going for potential in the draft this year, I'm not sure there's anyone after nine uh, or at nine who has more potential than Shengun. Although, you know, there's a Zaire Williams and maybe a Jalen Johnson. But uh, for my money, I would take just based on the pedigree, um, what he's already done at such a young age, that his potential is about as high as you're going to get at nine in the draft this year. Jerry, we're going to hype him up before we tear him down. So why don't you give me your <laughs> assessment on, on Alperin Shengun and let me, let's, let's give the audience what you think about him. The only thing I, that I agree with uh, Tony, I think offensively, I, I think, uh, you know, he's, he's uh, got the tools and the toolbox really, uh, uh, you know, and, and I certainly agree the fact that uh, I'm, I'm, he's played better competition, you know, he's played better competition. The college game is not nearly as good as the European game right now. It hadn't been for a decade, probably, you know? Uh, and so, so he's got that going for him. And, and uh, uh, you know, I think he'll, you know, probably uh, his defense. Yeah. I think he's not very good, but, but, you know, I, I, I guess I'm so old that I remember guys uh, at the same age a little, you know, like Vucevic, well, Vucevic couldn't guard anybody uh, coming out of college, and he still doesn't do. He's not exactly a stopper now, but he's but he can really score, <laughs> you know. And uh, and he's a skilled guy. And and so will will he? Does, am I saying he's going to be the next Vucevic? No, I'm not. But why wouldn't you say he could be? Sure. You know, I mean, his uh, track record to date's every bit as good or better. Uh, so, so there's that now having said all that, just forget all the, if the Kings, you know, if the Kings are going to lose homes, I, I think you have to, you really have to eyeball him even harder. Uh, you know, even, even the Franz Wagner and uh, Moses Moody people here, uh, you know, have got to think about that because I, I think he gives you somebody that can score at that position and, uh, you know, you step back a notch because uh, he's not—he's not going to do as much as Rashawn did. That's for sure, right away. So, yeah, I, defensively, uh, Tony's right. I mean, yeah, if you were in the finals of the playoffs, you'd probably worry about his defense. But I don't think that's going to be an issue next year. <laughs> the only thing I will say about about Franz and his defense as well, and and it leads into your point, Jerry is that every indication is that he's an incredibly smart player and he's an incredibly hardworking player. And I just, every time I hear somebody who's smart and he, he works his ass off, that tends to, to point to me that like, okay, he might not ever be the best defender in the world, but he's certainly going to improve. We all can remember Jokic's first year. I mean, really, I mean, that guy couldn't guard himself. Uh, I mean, and uh, I mean, not that he's a, uh, outstanding, but he's smart and tough and knows positioning and, and angles and things. So he's, he's more than, and certainly uh, so smart he can pick off balls. I mean, so yeah, I, I think what you said is exactly right. I mean, generally that sells, you know, being smart, hard worker, want to get better understanding, you know, the old saying, you know, you can't solve a problem. Do you admit you got one? And about 80% of the players in the league never admit they got one. And, and that's why they keep them. Brennan, we'll get to you in a second, but you're the gentleman who wrote the uh, the NBA draft profile on him, so I'll give you the final word on him. So we'll we'll shoot over to Bryant first, 
Uh, Bryant, tell us why we're all wrong and dumb. <laughs> you know, I understand anybody who is excited about Sengun. Um, far be it from me to question Kings fans raised on Vladi Divac and Brad Miller tape and wonder why they want to draft Alperin Sengun. Um, I have very limited concerns about him on offense. He's clearly a, a smart playmaker he's good around the basket and in my opinion it's he's going to be at least an average nba shooter um and like you were talking about he's clearly a tough player and whatever uh, he's got the best pedigree coming into this i agree with tony there um i just can't get over the defensive question marks and whatever he becomes in three four years like i understand i agree with will when you got a smart player you always just want to trust that they will figure out the best way to make the best of their own game so is it totally possible that he's an average at worst defender in a couple of years yeah i just can't stare at this king's core and say yeah, I want to draft another defensive question mark. That's pretty much all it, all of my concerns right there. And if they take him, I'm going to be really excited because on offense, that team's just going to be gangbusters. Just forget about it. But it just it just means more emphasis has to be put down the line on defense. And and I'm just I feel like the Kings have been kicking that can down the road for long enough. Brendan, do you see that his a uh, do you do you see his offense as being uh able to outshine a a terrible defensive presence somewhere in the future? Um, I I think the question is just the post-ups, right? Because the rest of his game, like I I feel pretty confident in it translating, you know, like the pick and roll, his finishing was ridiculous this year. Like Tony said, um, I think he's a really, really good passer. Um, I I believe in the three-point shot coming around, he, he gets fouled, but it's just, is he going to be able to post up a large majority. He doesn't have to post up the elite guys in the NBA, but is he going to be able to post up a large majority of NBA centers? And I just don't exactly know. Um, I, I think that it's possible, but he, he gets his looks off in a very Jokic esque way where it's, it, it kind of looks goofy, right? Where he's putting his body into it and has a funny looking hook shot sort of um, that he releases at the peak of his offhand and is like, you know, while I do think that the Turkish league is better than NCAA, obviously, I also think a lot of their top end talent was guards and wings and the jump from centers in that league to centers in the NBA. Like I really worried the length could be a big adjustment for Shengun. Um, so I, I trust the rest of his offensive game, but I think for him to reach like his peak of this potential, you know, and I think there is the potential that Tony said of a first, second option on a team, but that post up has to translate. And I just don't know how likely I find that. Um, and then when it comes to the defense, like I, I think that off ball, when he's just like already in position around the rim, he has really good timing. It's just putting him in space. And, and you know, I got scared watching a couple of playoff series that he had. And it's just like, it was against Shane Larkin uh, super randomly. And they were just going at him and pick and roll every single possession. Um, so it, it worries me a little bit there. And, you know, while, while I don't think the floor is nothing for Shengun because of that offensive game, even without the post-ups, it's like, is your floor, you know, not, not saying their play style, but their level of production, like Montres Harrell, where you're, you're putting up good offense, but you're not really too playable on the defensive end when it comes to a playoff setting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I do think that the off offensive upside is interesting. Um, but if, if you are talking about the floor, Um, I I just don't know how valuable that is in today's league with the value of backup centers. So it it really comes to me 
questioning how he'll adjust to length in the NBA when it comes to the ceiling. And the floor really has a lot to do with just how centers are positionally valued right now. I'm curious as to, I, I know we talked earlier about Franz Wagner thinking he's uh, he's 6'11". There's been reports that in a week, we kind of roll with him being 6'9". If Shangun is closer to 6'10 or 6'11", as some other people are saying here, um, do, does that give you more credence or more confidence in his ability to do those things? Or is it more just his his general size and his abilities to to post somebody up than it is more his height than anything else? Yeah, I mean, I think it it helps for sure, right? It, it's hard to tell how tall this guy really is out there. I don't, I don't know from just my eye test compared to the other dudes out there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it, it definitely helps when, you know, I'm just questioning how is he going to adjust to this length if he has a couple extra inches. Sure. Okay, so let's, uh, let's roll into some of these other guys that I know that they're a little less popular as picks, but I want to know what, what, what you guys generally think of them. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily call them dark horses because some of these guys are looking that, like they could be picked a little bit earlier. I think uh, the one that comes to mind right off the bat is uh, James Booknight. And I wondered what you guys thought about him and his fit necessarily, even though he's been kind of rumored to go as high up as six or seven, but as, as low as you know 12 or 13. Bright, do you have any opinion on, on Booknight and his fit with the Kings? Yeah, I like James Booknight, especially in a vacuum. Um, I think he does go before the Kings. Um, and to me, he would have a really strong case as the best player available should he be there at nine. Um, so to me, that's the, that's the conversation you have there. And since he's 6'5 and got exceptional explosiveness and speed, I, I, I don't, I'm not quite as concerned about any fit questions there. Um, I think he's a locked in three level scorer. As long as he continues to work on his handle, I think that's the main question mark I have for his offense. Um, I trust in his shooting ability. Uh, I think he was a little bit more locked in on defense than I was expecting when I went back and binged his tape. Um, to me, the swing skill really is his passing ability, uh, especially if he's coming to a team that already has initiators. So um, he's got to figure that out. If not, he'll just be a dynamic scoring dude. Uh, but in all honesty, I, I expect he goes to Orlando or Golden State. Brendan, do you have anything to add to that one? Yeah, Book Knight is a guy that I still really need to cement how I feel because I, I think that, like Brian said, there's a real case. I think he's best player available when it comes to nine. Um, and the last guy of a, of a tier for me. Um, it's probably not too surprising, but I would take Book Knight over Shingoon. Um, like I, I think that book Knight is a guy that averages, you know, 18 points in the league. And that's not like a super high end outcome. You know, I, I think that's somewhere between medium and high end outcome for book Knight. Um, he moves extremely well off the ball. I actually think that's the best thing that he does right now. Um, relocates him and puts himself in good positions. All the talk is that he, I think the quote is shot the piss out of the ball at the combine. So I guess that helps. Um, but I, I never had like too much concern with the shooting. He was U in all of UConn's offense. And I think that if he transitions to a role where he's a, the third focus and really able to take advantage of a lack of defense king and on him and, and cut into good spots, um, I, I think he could be really good on the offensive end of the floor. And I, I think he holds his own on defense. Like I, I kind of think that if you were planning on moving on from Buddy Heald, he fills that same sort of role. Um, while also supplying a little bit more on the defensive end. And obviously it would take a little while to reach Buddy Heald's production on offense, but I think Booknight has that potential. Jerry, have you seen much on, on, on James Booknight's tape? Have you, have you seen anything that impresses you one way or another? 
other than that, not, not a lot. Uh, you know, he, he just he's a guy who you just say he can score. Yeah. You know, he's going to find a way to score in this league. And uh, I think the probably the only question is to me is just uh, can you get him on the floor and 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 develop him, so to speak. I mean, I think there's a lot of teams that it'd be tough for him to get minutes. Sure. And uh, but you know, if he, you know, I mean. I mean, he's certainly looks like a better prospect than Caldwell Pope did coming out of college. And, and he's been a good pro, things like that. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I'd be, uh, I kind of agree with these guys. I, I don't see, I mean, he's a guy that probably if you're further up the, the gap there and you're really looking for somebody to go score the ball, especially if you don't even be the main man, uh, if you're the Warriors or somebody, uh, It'd be, be tough not to take him, I think, because I think right away he can get you double-figure scoring if you get him on the floor 20, 25 minutes. Tony, I'm curious about we, – we heard uh, the Memphis Grizzlies made a trade today to, 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 to go up to 10, and they're rumored the, – the rumored gentleman that they're interested in is Josh Giddy, who's a point guard out of Australia. And I'm, and I'm interested, Tony, in your take on Josh Giddy and whether or not the Kings have a fit there with – with with him and uh running technically a three-point guard lineup with giddy as a small forward and whether or not you'd see that as somebody who could be successful in a king's jersey well you're talking to someone who uh was very very willing to start um bogdan bogdanovich with buddy healed with De'Aaron fox for all those years that they had all those guys so i'll always take an extra ball handler facilitator uh no matter where that comes and i think jerry said this a lot last year that a lot of the best De'Aaron Fox minutes came when he was on the court with Tyrese Halliburton, another player who can pass and handle the ball and run the offense. So Fox would focus on scoring and Giddy gives any team and uh, in, in the Kings in this example, another opportunity to do that. Let players move off the ball a little bit. Um, now Giddy has other concerns uh, with defense as well, but if we're talking about guys like Moses Moody and Franz Wagner, and we all agree that Kings need uh, more perimeter players, more wings, Giddy doesn't, and Bryant and Brennan could both probably talk better to this than me. Giddy, for all that he does well um, on offense, he's not really solving the biggest wing need, which is defense. But seeing the Pelicans, if the reports are true, uh, Memphis, if the reports are true, that they moved up to 10 specifically for Giddy, that is interesting to me. Like they, so somebody who picks right around the Kings um, sees something in him uh, that is worth trading up and doing a lot. Four. I mean, that's a playoff team who is now getting worse with the intent of targeting someone at 10. And if that guy is giddy, um, just as an outsider, I'm like, hmm, like what is what does Memphis see if this is if they're doing all of this to, to go after giddy? Maybe it's someone the King should consider at nine. Memphis, a team that hasn't really struck out in draft picks in quite a while that have picked basically everybody that NBA Twitter loves uh, for their team. I, I think you're right that like if they want them so bad, then why, why aren't we looking at them a little bit harder? Uh, Brian, why don't why don't you uh, why don't you talk to us about Giddy a little bit here? Uh, I think Giddy would be a fine fit here. Um, you know, Brendan can speak to this uh, well because he did a whole profile on him. But I mean, there's no flaw in having as many playmakers on this roster as possible. Like, if the golden age of Kings basketball told us anything, it's you want as many passers on the floor as you can. Um, and he's definitely got that in his game. He's fantastic at the top of the arc he was great in the pick and roll and he was just doing it at 18 years old in the nbl so like it's another instance of a a young man clearly thriving in a in a grown man's league um 
I definitely wouldn't pick him over Moody or Franz just because, you know, the defense is one aspect. He's not anywhere near as good a defender as he is on offense. Uh, but even beyond that, I don't love his shooting numbers. Um, his mechanics look a little chunky to me. Uh, not to the point where you don't consider him at pick nine or something, but that to me, his fit is only questioned because of the shooting for me. And that's something he can improve at. And Lord knows if they selected him, uh, I would just hope that the Kings have the right shooting coach to work with him. But, uh, you know, I see why Memphis would take him. I love the fit in Memphis. They kind of do need more playmakers. Um, so I, I, I love that Memphis didn't just say, okay, we made the eighth seed. This is our team. Let's just, well, everything is going to work out with the guys that we have right now. Brendan, is uh, is Josh Giddy destined to be Kyle Anderson slow-mo 2.0, or are we uh, are we seeing something more or better from him? Um, I, I mean, I don't think that's actually a horrible outcome, but um, I, I think that, like, Josh Giddy's passing just blew me away. Like, I think second to Cade Cunningham in this class, and I guess Sharif Cooper is somewhere in that conversation, but Josh Giddy was, like, a ridiculous passer. And I think it's a really similar argument to the one you're making for Shangoon, where I think the offensive fit is not really too much of a question. Um, like maybe there, there is some concerns with the shooting, which I think are understandable. The form is questionable, um, but he was like respected in the NBL and he was definitely willing to shoot them. So that's worth something at least. Um, but I, I think just the way that he swung the ball around and if Fox and Halliburton if any of those three guys, Fox, Halliburton, or Giddy, were presented with an advantageous situation because of something that one of the other guys in that trio set up, I think they would just do a ridiculous job at capitalizing on it. Um, so I think the offensive fit would be awesome. Uh, the play finishers on this team would benefit from more passing, like Buddy, um, Barnes. I think Holmes falls into that. Bagley should fall into that. Um, so I, I think that that's where it's interesting. And then the defensive question is the same thing as Shen Goon, right? Like, I thought both of those guys are smart players. I thought that they were in the right spot, um, you know, especially on, on help side sort of things. Um, it's just about, would you rather try to hide your center on defense or a wing? And, and personally, I think it's just easier to hide a wing um, compared to this big man just getting put in pick and roll over and over. So let's, uh, there's, there's one other guy I want to talk about that's kind of in this range that he's not really in this range until he's in this range. And that's uh, John Kaminga. And he's he's kind of rumored to be the falling knife of this draft. He's kind of the guy that uh, you, you hear most often being the one who will fall, you know, with, you know, Jalen Suggs at four, Scotty Barnes at five, maybe somebody like Book Knight going six, and then whatever the Warriors decide to do, whether they trade or whatnot. But Kaminga seems to be the guy out of the original consensus kind of five guys who's who's going to be the one to fall. There is a, an argument to be made that he could fall to nine. So I want to talk to uh, talk to Jerry and talk to you guys about this. Jerry, uh, do you see one, first of all, do you see Jonathan Kaminga falling at all? And two, if somebody falls from where you hear it, he could have been as high as three or four earlier on and now has dropped all the way to nine and you haven't worked him out, do you take him? Do you take him based on talent alone uh, if, if he does end up falling there? Well, I think you take him if you're convinced he's the best guy that you could get there. Uh, I, I'm probably not a big fan. Uh, I love his athleticism. He just, it, I watched uh, several of the uh, G League games and, uh, you know, he's a fabulous athlete looking for a game, uh, uh, you know, and, and I, 
you know, and, and it, he's the kind of guy that in two years may have one. And then you'd say, holy shit, how did he slip? But, uh, he, you know, uh, we all know there's about every team, you know, it could be the next Justice Winslow or, you know, you can go on and on. Uh, with guys that you said, well, boy, they're so athletic, they'll find the game and they'll be really good. And, and they're not. <laughs> and uh, so I, I just, you know, I guess just put me down as I'd be a little, I'd be scared. You know, the Kings, I think, really need to need to have a guy they know can play. Whether it's the best pick they could get, it doesn't have to be the best one. It has to be a good one. It has to be a good one. Uh, let's go to Brennan first. Brennan, what do you what do you think about Kuminga and and whether or not he's going to be falling as far, uh, maybe not to the Kings, but in the Kings range? Yeah, I think Jerry's speaking my language here, and and I'll say like I'd be super concerned if the two teams in rebuilding situations, OKC and Orlando, Orlando passes on him twice, and OKC passes on him too. Like I think that if if any teams are going to willing to be patient with this guy and take an upside swing, it should be them. So like I think right away, right there is a red flag. Um, and yeah, like Jerry said, I I mean, and I, I said earlier, like I just don't think you can strike out, and I think Kuminga is. Uh, maybe not likely, but I, I think it's kind of a coin flip here. Like I don't really see an in-between outcome for Kuminga. You know, I, I think it's either this borderline slash perennial all-star, which, cause that potential really is there with this fluidity, size, strength, and all that at his age. Um, but, you know, I, I just don't know what a middle outcome for Kuminga looks like. Like I, it really does kind of feel like an all or nothing. And that really scares me, but it would be really hard to pass at nine. Tony, what do you think about the value of Kaminga at nine and whether or not you'd take him or not? Well, I was going to jump in here and ask this question directly to everyone because we did take a bunch of uh, questions from people on Twitter and Patreon because we are uh, we're going to record a Patreon exclusive um, show after this for everyone listening. They can go check that out afterwards. But uh, Gabs on Twitter asked this very bluntly and straight that if Kuminga falls to nine, uh, would the Kings be wise to draft him? And I, I'll just open it up to people and take the Kings out of it. Like, would you draft him if he's there at nine? And my very simple answer is yes, because I'm petrified of, of being the team that doesn't. Um, and I know the Kings have had a mixed mixed results doing that. Uh, Thomas Robinson was a famous fall guy who the Kings picked and got that one wrong. Ben McLemore, a famous fall guy, Kings pick, got that one wrong. And on the plus side, Tyrese Halliburton was a fall guy last year that the Kings got right. Um, and Kaminga, I would say, definitely falls more in line with McLemore and Robinson because those guys fell because of their rawness. And with Halliburton, there was never any question of his uh, talent, really. It was athleticism concerns, um, but it wasn't like he needs, like Jerry was saying, it wasn't that Halliburton needs to find a game. Halliburton had a game. It was other things that caused him to fall, whereas Robinson and McLemore were, were much similar to, to Kaminga, where it's like they kind of got to figure out the IQ thing on the court too a little bit, and, and Robinson was very raw. So while Kuminga fits into that other category that I don't necessarily like, um, I am uh, swinging for home runs, unlike some people on, on this panel. Uh, that's why I like Shengun. Um, and Kuminga is a guy that if he's there at nine, I mean, I'll, I'll just take the swing and we'll see what happens. But uh, I'd, I'd, it'd be hard to pass that at nine. I'd take it. I kind of think that Kuminga, uh, drafting Kuminga at nine facilitates other deals. Like, I think that, like, the second I hear Kaminga's getting drafted by the Kings, I'm like, okay, I'm waiting for the Buddy Heel trade for Kyle Kuzma. Or I'm waiting for Harrison Barnes to go somewhere else. And the Kings are have decided that they're going to slow down a little bit, that they're not going to rush towards a playoff appearance. Or that, 
if they do, they're trading for somebody in John Kaminga's position that they know they can sit Kaminga in the back seat for a little while because, well, he's got top five talent. He was drafted nine. He's not expected to start right away. He can sit there and, and chill with Rico Hines for a season or so or go to the G League for another season and dominate and or, or see if he can find a way to dominate that league and just let him spend a couple of years getting ready to be ready for the playoffs. But I, I take Kaminga just based on the talent and his ability to be a potential two-way star, but I would be gritting my teeth and, and nervous about it at least until uh, G League season started and then I'd be in stocking for every single Kings game. Yeah, you know, I'll, I share a lot of the reticence about Kaminga. I'm not going to let him fall too far. Arguably, he would make a ton of sense at number nine just from the Kings' needs. Um, but when I go back and watch his tape, he, he he's clearly a 18 year old uh, athletic dude who is playing against grown men. And he may have been the most athletic dude on the court pretty much at all times, but at the same time, so much of what he could control even beyond this is a raw dude figuring out how to thrive against uh, players, his size, like his defensive motor and effort weren't great. His shooting was very inconsistent. His shot selection was pretty poor. And those are the indicators to me. Like it's, it, it makes it more of a risk beyond just, this is a raw dude who you have to be patient with as he figures out how he's going to impact the game. Um, I, I agree with you guys. This is a true dice roll. Uh, and I, I am terrified of the selection because we've seen the Kings get snake eyes on this type of prospect before. Yeah, I think if it was my job on the line, like I don't know if I could say the call is Kuminga. You just trade trade back. I feel in this too scenario scared. Then right, but somebody else make uh, that trade. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you try to, right? Yeah. The danger there, though, too, is that say the Kings got him, and I mean, you know, I, you see that spectacular athleticism, the body, and everything, and and the truth is. He really does need to go probably in the G League for a while. I mean, he does. And I mean, and <laughs> I think, and uh, it's like, boy, talk about uh, kicking your fan base in the groin. I mean, uh, yeah, okay, okay, guys. Uh, well, because we think in, you know, in three years he's going to be, and he might be, you know, I mean, there's no doubt, but he could be special. He could be his athleticism. If he adds the game to it and the drive, if, 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 and if I, wasn't so ugly, I'd be better looking. You know, there's so many ifs there. Uh, I always remember saying that about Kevin Knox years ago. That's a really good Or the guy, if, if, if. And you're still saying, <laughs> if, if, if. <laughs> I think the last guy that was just like a freak athlete, but, and kind of a molding block, but really needed to figure out the game is still on Sacramento's roster. You're yeah. talking about Marvin like, Bagley. Uh, yeah, I don't know, like, I don't know how much the fan, fan base could really take Kuminga at nine because they would be so excited that he fell and his production just would not be great his rookie year. Yeah, I, I don't – it doesn't seem like that's a guy that – like if I'm putting myself in Monty McNair's shoes with everything he's done so far, it's hard to imagine. Like we've heard tr they might trade out. We've heard they want win now players. We've heard that, you know, Franz Wagner has been at the top of their board for a while depending on, you know, which mock drafters you want to listen to. Uh, so I, I almost want Kuminga to drop just to see, because like Will was saying, drafting Kuminga almost indicates like a total shift in what his plan is. So to see Monty McNair facing that decision at nine, it's like, I just want to see what he would do in that position because it does, it's, uh, it's perfectly 
um, not the position that he wants to be in. So seeing how someone uh, responds to that sort of sort of uh, scenario would would be interesting to watch. Sales of Tums and Pepto Bismol would go through the roof in Sacramento <laughs> for the foreseeable future on that one. You know, you wish the kid the best, but I, I really agree. You know, I thought with what Bryant said there about, I, I was concerned, legitimately concerned about the motor a little bit. You know, and I mean, and and you're not supposed to be concerned about that. You know, I mean, really, that uh, you know that that should be kind of a given. Uh, then you can, and some of the the other guys we've talked about, I don't think you you, you that comes up at all. We have a we have a bunch of different trade down opportunities as well. I know the Kings have been rumored to be shopping the nine pick, and one of the rumors is that they might be moving down to a little bit lower spot to get a, either a couple of pieces or to get guys that they like a little bit better, a little bit lower. And so I wanted your guys' opinions on. I'm going to list out a couple of them, and you don't have to name, you don't have to talk about these guys in particular, but these are kind of the guys that we've fallen in love with, and not necessarily at nine, but maybe a little bit lower. Uh, there's talks of. Jalen Johnson, who was a, 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 a supposed to be a big time guy at Duke. Uh, Corey Kispert is a name that's come up with the Kings. Um, the best defender in the draft, maybe outside of Evan Mobley and Usman Garuba. Um, Kai Jones, who has been in for a workout with the Kings. Uh, Zaire Williams, who is a, a talented guy from Stanford. Um, and uh, so I was curious to, oh, Trey Murphy was the other one. Um, or Trey Mann, I think is the one that, that the Kings had a workout uh, today with. I'm curious what you guys think of some of these guys and whether or not you'd see them as a fit in a trade down with the Kings. Well, I'll go first. Cause you said the magic words. I love Zaire Williams. Um, to me, he's the project player that I would seriously consider trading back for. Um, he's going to be clearly a very polarizing player. I don't know that there's any, like on the court proof that he's going to be better than Jonathan Kuminga, for example. But when you watch him, I don't really have any concerns about his motor. Um, and he just genuinely seems like a kid who need, who knows what he needs to work on. Um, super skinny. He's not probably going to impact the game on both ends for a full season. So you're probably sending him off to Stockton, but like he's got a sweet pull-up shot that I think, will make him a real threat at the next level. And I do believe in his shooting ability. So um, he's my favorite if they look to trade back. Tony, do you have somebody that you have in mind for a, for a trade back if the Kings do in fact decide to go down and pick up a couple of guys? I was also going to say Zaire Williams, um, simply because he fits my, my swing for the fences, sort of, uh, I don't know, driving, driving force heading into this draft. But for the sake of talking about someone different, um, I think Garuba almost fits that same sort of mold where you, you are taking a pretty hard swing, although it's sort of the opposite of, of Shen Goon. We are taking a very hard swing at who, like, who could be uh, all defense blank team at some point just because his, his, uh, his defensive ability is ridiculous. He's super young. Um, he's unlike anything the Kings have or have had in a, in a very long time. And the fit there is awkward if he's not a center and you've got a, a power forward or a four who is not an offensive threat, but he's only a defender. You kind of need to do some other weird things around your offense and defense to have that sort of player fit, um, especially on this team who uh, already sort of lacks some shooting in the front court if, if Harrison Barnes isn't playing down. Um, but those are those are sort of the guys that I like. If, if you're trading down, it's um, almost like the Harry Giles pick a few years ago that I, that I really liked at the time, despite his injuries. It's like you're, you're trading down, you're towards the end of the draft, like, 
the the safe pick there is someone you can probably get in free agency. Like you have the MLE, like you can probably get a guy 15, like the equivalent of a 15 to 30 uh, in the first round player in free agency or through trades somewhere. Um, do you get a shot at a Zaire Williams in free agency? Probably not. Do you get a shot at uh, a, a guy who has a chance to be a one of the best defenders in the league, like Ruben free agency, probably not. So when you start talking about trading down, that's where my swing for the fences uh, thing gets even more strong because it's like uh, you can get some of these role player types in free agency anyway. So um, why not go after a guy like Zaire that you, you can only get through circumstances in the draft where he falls or you trade down. Brendan, do you have somebody that you're looking at that, that we haven't talked about yet? I love both of the guys mentioned. I, I love Zaire. I, I really like Garuba. Um, I like Trey Murphy. You threw that name out there as well. I mean, surprise, surprise. I like the 6'9", really good defender who also happens to shoot 43% from deep. I, I think he's legitimately one of the best shooters in the in the class um, with that size and on-ball defense. Like, um, I, I agree with Tony. Like, you're, you rarely get a chance to swing it like a Zaire. Um, but I also look at the roster recently, and it's like, you know, you should be able to get those guys in free agency, but actually we had to like trade for Mo Harkless last off season. And I think Trey Murphy could kind of fill that role. Um, and, you know, I'll also say that um, if Jared Butler falls, like I, I would love Jared Butler, you know, I, I don't think he's a great fit on this team, but I think there's leadership. I think there's shot creation. Like, I think there's a really good handle there. Um, I, I think Jared Butler is going to be a really good player in the league. And I think he has potential to even be a starter in the league at some point. Um, and it seems like there's a chance that he could fall down. I, I don't, his range seems pretty wide, but if, if you are training down, say 16, 18, like I think you really do consider Jared Butler. Jerry, what about you? Do you have somebody that you eye that we haven't talked about quite yet? Well, Butler's be my guy. I, I, you know, cause I watched him quite a bit. I, 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 I think he's just like, uh, Ryan was talking about, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, and all, but I, I just think he's a guy that'll be on a roster and I think he'll play. Uh, you know, but I always look too. I'm getting, I was having another thought there, you know, talking about free agent kind of guys. And it's like, you know, there, there really are those guys there every year. The Kings maybe don't get the right one. Uh, but, you know, Jay Crowder, uh, you know, I mean, they're got guys that, that are always available because the teams that, that has them don't totally appreciate them. You know, I always say that's my Tyrone Corbin rule that uh, I don't care. A guy can be really good, but everybody's looking for somebody better all the time and they, and they let them go, sure. uh, you know, and <laughs> I mean, it was, that was, uh, I'd made the statement that got, got a little flack uh, years ago when, when Golden State, uh, or I mean, Memphis uh, got rid of uh, Iguodala, and Crowder to, to Miami, I said, hey, Crowder's the best part of that deal. Iguodala's, uh, you know, he's, he's just a, 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 a shadow of himself. And I mean, and, 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 and really, that's maybe the first time I can recall Pat Riley and his crew, in my mind, making a mistake, letting him go. And, you know, I don't know if anybody noticed it. I, I think they have that they're not nearly as good. And, and Phoenix was a lot better. And I think uh, Jay Crowder had a lot to do with that. So, I mean, but, but I think those guys were there, but, but, but to your point, I mean, yeah, it was there Williamson Butler. I think those guys, if you get them, you probably are going to be pretty happy with them. Uh, do you trade down to do that? I wouldn't, uh, I don't like trading up or trading down. I, and I'll tell you why I think it's a draft. It's a draft. And uh, you know, I, my, my rule on that was going back to Dallas uh, Milwaukee trading 
ninth pick uh, to move up to seven to get tractor trailer and Dallas had, was stuck with Dirk Nowitzki and if that don't if that don't get your attention nothing will is is there a case to be made for a guy like uh, uh Jalen Johnson um Brendan I'll, I'll start with you there he's kind of the guy Jerry on on King's Twitter that he has a following of people that it's like it's Jalen Johnson or it's trade the damn pick. If it's not Jalen Johnson, I swear to God, I'm going to be some other fan for some other team. And and I, I, I think Jalen Johnson it could be a productive player in the league, but I don't see the love affair quite yet. So I'm wondering if some of the smarter people in the room could, could clue me in on what makes Jalen Johnson uh, the linchpin for like 100 people on Twitter and their, their abandonment of the Kings franchise. I think he had like some of the better individual performances um, throughout college basketball this year. Like he had some games where he was just absolutely dominant, but it was also not against great competition. Um, but I'm also sitting here talking about like James Booknight scoring 40 on Creighton. So, you know, every team has those games. Like you still have to take advantage. You only get to play who's on your schedule and he did a good job there. But I think that there are concerns of how his game ideally translates to the NBA. You know, there's, there's not, um, much shooting going on right now. Like it, you see 44%, he shot the ball 18 times from deep um, in the 13 games he played. So there's not really that much there. Um, and the free throw looks a little bit questionable. Um, I think in the open court, like he's got great vision and he's got a great top speed to him um, and some decent finishing. Like that's not going to be an issue at all. But in the half court, um, I'm not exactly sure how he creates and he does operate best with the ball in his hands, making plays for himself and others. Um, there's not a great first step. I think the handle needs some work. So um, I have my concerns there on offense. And then on defense, I think like he's a great playmaker, you know, steals and blocks were through the roof for him. But I think that there is a little bit of a question, like, is he a tweener on defense? Is, is he quick enough laterally to guard fours on ball? I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, so I, I just think there's enough questions, mark question marks there, where if you are taking an upside swing, there's a couple guys Shangun Zaire that I, I would take ahead of Jalen Johnson. Brian? Yeah, JJ is probably the hardest dude for me to watch because just from a game-to-game standpoint, there's no consistency with uh, how good he looks. Like, there are some games where he looks like he should be a top three player in this class, and then there are other ones where he just looks like he's a borderline first-rounder. And honestly, like consistency is kind of an underrated trait when you're looking for prospects. Um, it's kind of hard to have that when he only played 13 games. Um, so I can definitely say why there are people who believe in him. Like if he translates, he's a two-way playmaker with uh, some strong athletic skills, really good block and steal rates. But then there'd be whole other games where he just looked like he'd never played defense at a at a high level before and uh i don't really believe in his shooting mechanics i think that's something that he could work on but he to me is a real gamble in the same vein as the guys we've talked about and i just find myself um gravitating towards other upside plays jerry have you watched any tape on a on a jj or is this somebody that you uh he's too low for you to, to care about at this point well, I, you know, I, I did watch quite a few Duke games when he actually played, and, and I am kind of in tight with a good, my best friend, or one of them is uh, 
close friend is Coach K. So I, you know, and he lives in Chapel Hill, and you know, which is pretty close to Duke. And I mean, so I know a little bit about the situation, and and I, it's a little, a little, you know, I wouldn't say you know anything really bad, but uh, I, I think there's some concern. It would be for me that, as much as anything, his his gifts, and he's got them. He's got gifts, uh, but. How would how how would he be when he can't be the main man, and he's not going to be, sure. <laughs> uh, uh, even with the Kings, you know. And I mean, I, I and I thought that showed up a little bit in those games. I mean, basically, it was kind of like it's it, a little bit a Marvin situation, a little bit my my ball. Sure, uh, you know, I as long as I got the ball, I, I I can play. If I don't have it, I you know, I'll just be over here. Uh, type thing and and I so that that worries me a lot especially since you probably have other guys that you that you wouldn't be concerned about that sure is there a, a Tony is there is there anybody else that you you want to talk about I know we hadn't talked about uh, Kai Jones yet I know we haven't talked about um, uh, Corey Kispert everybody's favorite uh, prospect at, at number nine Corey Kispert and by everybody I mean everybody but a Kings fans so is there anyone else in your mind I'm glad we talked about the three guys at the top of the show that we did talk about, because it does feel like that has like, and maybe we're just building our own narrative of consensus and it doesn't actually exist. Cause that, that happens too. Um, <laughs> especially in our little like Kings Twitter eco chamber where it's like, we're just sort of bouncing the same names of each other. And then you begin to think that you've like, that's who the Kings are considering, even though there has been some reported stuff that that actually is. Um, but if, if you had to pick someone and I'd be interested for other people's answers to this too, if you had to pick someone, outside of the three, uh, Moody, Shangun, and Wagner that we've talked about, that the Kings are most likely to pick, not who you want, but who, if you would project like what McNair looks for and what he wants in this year's draft, I would almost say to Will, your point, like Corey Kispert, who I don't think any of us, I don't want to speak for everybody, but a lot of people don't want at nine, myself included. But if I had to project someone who the Kings may pick at nine outside of the guys we've talked about, that is he very much represents like the win now easy fit into what the Kings are already doing shooter. It lets you, I mean, they, they might move buddy healed regardless, but it's an easy switch where you get rid of uh, one shooter at a position that you already have some redundancy with Halliburton. You insert another in theory, high volume uh, productive shooter in Kispert who can play with those two other guards uh, much better than they can all play with each other. Um, but he's, you know, he wouldn't be my pick, but I think that is an interesting player to at least consider here because, you know, like I said, we've built our little consensus, our narrative, but Kispert is a player who, if you read what Monty, like read between the lines of what McNair has said and what the Kings are doing this summer, um, he is sort of a guy that, that fits that win now mold of a player they've been either looking for in the draft or via trade. Brian, go ahead. You know, I, I agree that Corey Kispert, makes sense and i um we're trying to win now and lord knows kings need spacing um i will say that there's actually a statistical reason to think that he may not be that high on the king's board somebody really pointed out just how off how it, it, looking at all the players that money mcnair has brought in since he was brought over they're all dudes who have really high block and steal rates real decent um defensive playmakers and that's just not Corey Kispert's game like I think he's a very solid team defender you have to be if you're going to start Gonzaga but that's not his game um I think he's a little uh his defensive upside isn't anywhere close to I think his offensive upside so um 
if I had to make a bet and it wasn't one of those three guys, like I agree with Jerry, Davion Mitchell makes sense for what Monty McNair is looking for. I don't love the positional fit, but he's that locker room dude, the defensive first, his steal and block rates are both very good for his size. Uh, if I, if I had to put money and it wasn't one of those three guys that we were talking about, I don't know. I don't even know if they've met with him, but he seems like a guy that Monty McNair would, would enjoy drafting. Brennan, go ahead. Yeah. For me, if it's not Moody Wagner or Shingoon, give me whichever one of book Knight or Kamingas there. Sure. Um, like I, I'd probably prefer to, trade down like i would really consider it if that was the scenario but i, I think i just take whichever one of coming or um book nights available at that point yeah i i mean i the thing with kispert and i'm probably way off here guys but i just wouldn't take him in the top 20 i just wouldn't i i just i just wouldn't do it uh, i mean he's he's got a translatable <laughs> skill that's but, actually, yeah. uh, and that's only if he can get open <laughs> and uh uh you know so I, I just wouldn't do that. And uh, I, I mean, right. if you could get him in a second round or something like that, I mean, sure. But I'd take, if that was your choice, Kispert, if, at nine, I would trade nine for uh, Doug McDermott and be done with it uh, because you're, because he's better. Sure. <laughs> and he knows what he is already in the league too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's it's taken mm-hmm. several years, but he is now, what they hoped he would be when they draft when he was drafted 11th or whatever it was. Jerry, I guess I'll ask you this. Um, we've, we've, we spent a good deal of time talking about, uh, you know, m- most of our, most of the prospects that we, uh, we think the Kings will select. Uh, and there's this thing, there's this, uh, the sort of Damocles kind of ho- floating over our heads here. I don't really think that the Kings are going to make this pick. I think there's a really, really good chance that the Kings trade it. And at this point, Jerry, I guess I'm curious as to see what you think even the chances are of the Kings picking uh at nine uh, on thursday night i I think the only way they do uh in my opinion is uh if they can't make a deal i think that's what they would like to do use the pick as part of a a a bigger deal and i i certainly would agree with that if it's something that you know if it's a way to make yourself better uh and still not get a lot older uh sure uh help your cap situation or or move, move uh, the pick and a player for a better player. Uh, you know, it's quantity, not quality. The Kings, <laughs> I mean, or, I mean, it's quality, not quality. The, I mean, any quality. And, and I mean, uh, so if they can get one player, uh, you know, just one player that would, could be in their top three or four, uh, that's the only way they're going to get better. Uh, and, you know, you don't want to do that to get a 35 year old, but if you could get a, a 25 year old uh, I don't know about the rest of you but I got nothing planned past the next five years anyway <laughs> uh, can I ask a question off of this because it's something we got from Twitter and while I don't know if this is going to be the trade I think it will go uh, it, it will help the listeners um, understand where we value number nine um, if you would take number nine for this player this question is from Patrick on Twitter and um, he knows you've been talking about Moody and Wagner a lot at nine uh, but would you trade it specifically for Miles Turner? I know there's contracts that need to go into that, but if, if we're just talking about what do we value oh, the number nine oh, of being worth? Oh, Lord, is yes. nine for Miles Turner, yes, yes. Oh, across the board? Is that it for me? My God, don't anybody say anything different. <laughs> who's, the, who's the best player, Jerry, that you would give up with nine to get Miles Turner? 
I would trade uh, honestly. I trade Bagley and nine for Miles Turner. Okay. I but I'd I'd, I'd rather trade Bagley and and nine for Miles Bridges. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Well, yeah, I love Miles Bridges too. So I mean, I mean, I like Miles Turner, and he certainly protects you, and I, I like him a lot. I don't think he's necessarily better than Rashawn Holmes at all. I really don't, because he does. Uh, Rashawn guards the wings much better, much better. And uh, anyway, but but he's he's a sure thing, you know. So Miles Turner, yeah, you do that for Miles Turner. But like I say, as you know, you guys, I. I I, I fall in love with Miles Bridges. I made a point to watch him just because I like him. Sure. I mean, I just think, you know, you plug him in on the Kings and you get better. I believe that. Well, and he's one of those guys, Jerry, that he's just available enough that you can watch him and just see him in a Kings jersey, even when he's playing for the Hornets. Well, that's what I think. You know, I mean, it's like they, they can't really trade Hayward. No. And I mean, and Hayward's terrific. Obviously, he's a terrific player when healthy. That's But, but they've got him. And so... You know, and, and there's a little bit of an overlap. And so that's why I think that he might be gettable, but it would take, it would take quite a bit to get him. And, uh, but like I say, if you gave up those two things in my mind, uh, I think you're, you're better than just keeping those two things. Sure. Uh, you know, I guess I'll ask, I guess I'll ask the, the, uh, the whole panel here. Um, it's been kind of rumored that uh, Marvin Bagley is, he's got a new, I guess Woj put it that a uh, new home for him is on the horizon or something like that. Uh, Jerry, what do you think the chances are of Marvin being moved on a, on draft night? I think it's pretty good. I think it's a pretty good chance. And and I mean, I think it'd obviously be at this stage, the best thing for the Kings franchise and the best for Marvin. You know, and I, as you guys yeah. know, I've said this many times, probably 80% of the players need traded. Uh, there's just so few that are so good. They don't need to be traded. Uh, it's part of, you know, growing up. That's just like uh, your first job. Uh, very few guys stay in the same company forever. You need to, uh, you're not that valuable. You're not that good. You, sometimes you need to go somewhere else. And, and so, uh, yeah, I think it'd be good for Marvin, but certainly I think for the franchise, it, it's probably important to, to, to move a different direction and uh, hopefully, you know, get a new start. We've got one more pick to talk about because the Kings do have a second round pick this year. Um, my, my, my knowledge on the second round this year is pretty limited. I've watched six or seven guys and, and not much more than that. So I'll, I'll rely on my other experts here. Uh, opening up to you guys, do you guys have a person in the second round that you're queuing in on? Is there somebody that you have a favorite that you're like, this is the guy that the Kings should grab this year? And uh, if so, who is it? And then uh, pitch them to us for you. Uh, I love JT Thor. Um, I don't necessarily think that he will last to 39, but he's probably my favorite dude. Um, if he falls that far, just seems to me like um, he, he's a, he's a low risk player at 39. Uh, if you can get him in the second round, uh, you can afford to be patient. He's going to need a lot of time in the G league, but he's coming from Auburn. He clearly has a defensive versatility and a high motor to guard a whole bunch of dudes across the board. Um, and then every once in a while, he just pull up a little step back three that was very tantalizing. Um, I don't know that I'd even consider him with a lottery pick, but, you know, a, a later first rounder, uh, he's definitely a guy I'd have my eye on. And in the second round, it's not even close. Brendan, what about you? Do you have somebody that you're looking at? There's a couple guys I think I'd be interested if I, if they fell. Um, I really like Josh Christopher, actually. I, I think that Christopher has some really good potential to be a self-creator. Um you know, I think that 
um, he might be a better shooter than that three point number suggests, you know, there's decent free throw shooting there. Um, he was the focal point of ASU. I think that when he's locked in on defense, he had some really good moments there. Um, and, and I think something that Terrence Davis made me realize was that the team last year needed a guy that was willing to go out there and just get up a lot of shots. And I think that Josh Christopher kind of fits that um, without doing too much and kind of being a ball stopper at the same time, which he could be guilty of, but uh, you know, you're never going to be perfect, especially with these second round guys. Um, so he really interests me. There is a guy that I think has intriguing upside. I also love that he was probably the highest ranked guy to attend the combine and, and really showed out there. Um, so, yeah, I think Josh Christopher's guy is really interesting to me. Tony, do you have anybody? Uh, yeah, and this is not um, this is not my original take. I started floating around on, on Twitter somewhere um, that Quentin Grimes sort of the Desmond Bain of, of the draft this year. Uh, and it is like you look at his numbers and he's one of those guys where you, you're like, all right, why is he not like uh, why is he not projected to go higher? Like he's a really good defender and he's a high volume three point shooter. I think he had uh, like 40 percent on eight attempts a game. Um, which is very, very Desmond Bainey. Uh, there is some maybe positional redundancy if he, if he can't play down to the three, um, but, you know, he's, he's not small. Um, so, you know, if you can get a guy who has a good defensive um, reputation and then he's also a, a high-volume three-point shooter at the, you know, pick 39, I think that's a, a more than, than fair way to use a pick like that. Jerry, is there anybody that, you, that you're seeing in the second round here that you or somebody that you haven't mentioned in the first round that you want to talk about? Not a soul. Not a soul. Okay, so Not no friends, Legionberg or Jeremiah <laughs> Earl, nothing no. like that. Drew Tibble, no. maybe. No, no, I don't. Well, you should give you. Well, you should give your uh, your Franz uh, spiel. A friends, Blegenberg? Is that how it's pronounced? I, I, I think, think so, but don't quote me. I don't know, Jerry. Do you know anything about him? No, not one thing. He's a six eleven point guard from 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 Belgium, and he's a uh, he's like the Belgian Pokashevsky, and uh, and because he's long and thin as hell, everyone thought that Will would be in on him, and you know what? I'm not. I'm not in on him. I like him. Seems like a nice guy. Seems like a really good guy. But there's only one Poku. And there's only one guy who deserves my love, and that's him. Friends has been so smart by tweeting every single city that he yeah. goes to. Like it is yeah. such good PR for him. He's been marketing this well, Jerry. He's basically. Um, I, I'm sure teams hate him, but every every single stop that he's been to, he's taken pictures. He's posted on Twitter. Oh, here's the team I'm I'm playing with today. Or somebody will report, you know, uh, uh, some reporter with, with acumen will say, oh, Friends Bleichenberg is, he's, he's tried out for nine teams. And then he'll correct them, uh, 13. And he'll make wow. it very public where he mm. is, regardless of whether or not the team tells him to shut up. And so I think his draft stock is up. Or he wants us to think he's that. He's willing to just, just straight up tell everybody, I'm in Sacramento today. I've got a question for all you guys. Yeah. What do you, if uh, the King kid, uh, we're in this draft, you know, the Kings had at the end of the season. Uh, would he be a draftable player? I really liked him in his draft. I thought, I, I thought he too. was going to be a great second round pick. It really surprised me that he didn't, he wasn't selected. Um, I'm really glad that he's uh, on the two way. I hope he stays around because he seems pretty promising and Lord knows, just get all of these young, promising wings you can into your system, and one or two of them will end up being all right. And just more of those that you hit on, the better for the franchise. 
he's one of those guys, Jerry, that, you know, it, it was a surprise when it came out that he wasn't a, at least a second round guy, you know, mid second rounder that got picked. And, and I, I think there was something about they had not an attitude issue, but like a motivational concerns. And then he showed up in Detroit and it was like, Oh no, everything's fine. He's a, he's a great guy. He's a hard worker. And it was one of those weird things that I think that some small rumor got floated and that might've been the difference between going 50 and going undrafted. I'm, I'm glad he's on the Kings. I'll say that much, whether or not it lasts for very long or if he's a G league guy. So what he, he's a, he's a, he's a baller. I think. Yeah. I sometimes have a hard time getting excited about these guys because the Kings uh, never play them. And it's like, we had Robert Woodard on the bench all year. Daquan Jeffries before that, um, you know, Lou King was there for a while. Uh, and obviously Daquan Jeffries didn't work out, but um, instead we got, you know, 20, I've said this a million times, but we got 25 minutes of Mo Harkless at the end of the year um, instead of seeing guys, uh, you know, like Robert Woodard. So when the Kings draft these, any guy, any guy in the second round, honestly, you can throw Jemias Ramsey in there or Justin James. Um, when you never see them play, like I'm hard, it's hard for me to get too jazzed up about uh, what, what they will end up doing. Like I, but King and Woodard are two of the, of the more interesting ones for sure. And I'm just hoping that we get to see them play. It, maybe that summer league, they, they get an opportunity and, and show that they belong and deserve NBA minutes. But Luke Walton has been pr- pretty hesitant. And I think maybe it's this win now directive to, to let some of those guys get minutes. So I just don't know. I don't know how to feel about them, honestly, but, but, if they can play in the summer league and play this year, that'd make me pretty happy. Imagine the minutes when Kyle Kuzma's here too. Uh, no. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, he, he, well, he did seem intriguing though. You know, I mean, it's not, uh, you know, so most of those times I, yeah, uh, you know, you know, they bring in guys and, you know, I mean, it's like a, a, a Damian uh, Jones. I mean, you know, he, it's intriguing, you know, I mean, there's a, there's, there's a reason that you could have him on your roster. Uh, and this kid, I, I just, like I say, just didn't see enough, but what, what you saw, you thought, Oh crap, you know, this guy, this guy can score a little bit. I mean, you always have to be scared at the end of the season because, uh, you know, when teams aren't trying or playing their best players and injuries. So, but, it, but it's still, it's like, uh, you know, it'd be Kings will probably be hard pressed to find somebody with the talent that he has late in the second round. I think, uh, you know, that's the reality. To, to Tony's point a little bit, I think we were really blessed with uh, Tyrese Hall- Halliburton last year in that he had a really short off season. You know, he didn't have a summer league to, to show off in for Kings to get excited or Kings fans to get excited about. I think a guy like a uh, Jamias Ramsey or Robert Woodard really 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 needed a summer league heading into the nba season and i, I think a lot most of the league does and i think we just got spoiled by the fact that nba ready guys like Lamelo ball and even edwards but the tyrese halliburton's of, of the league they didn't need it you know they were they were you know locked and loaded ready to go day one and i think some of these guys they just aren't they're not nba ready and they need a slower transition into the league and they didn't get it so i think King is one of those guys that I think he'll end up being on the Kings summer league roster and with a Robert Woodard and a Jemias Ramsey, like, I don't know if they will be any good, but I think there'll be a lot of fun. And that's something I'm definitely looking forward to. Right down Robert Woodard is. Yeah, there we go. That's what you're waiting for. <laughs> right down Robert Woodard is summer yeah. league MVP. I'm all here for it. Yeah. The, the Woodard, I, I watched him some in the G league and he's interesting, but you know, the thing that struck me, he's really more of a power forward than anything. Uh, you know, a, a small power forward uh, that didn't shoot threes very well, uh, certainly. But, uh, 
yeah, that doesn't mean he, he, you know, I mean, once you get past, boy, he looks like a, his great body and everything, uh, which he does have, but you know, that doesn't mean much if you can't get past people and things like that. Uh, so I, I think he's intriguing, but I'm, I'm not ready to, yeah. I wouldn't be ready to, uh, guard him against all trades or anything. You know, I, I think, uh, but, but I, I certainly agree that the summer league, you know, people sometimes forget that, you know, that's a level of play. And then the preseason is another level jump up and it gives them a chance. You know, they go from summer league to, you know, guys that are pretty, pretty good players. They'll get numbers and they get to thinking they're get all puffed up about themselves and the preseason that's a little tougher yet. And then, then the regular season's another notch. And of course, not that we can any of us remember it, but playoffs are yet another notch <laughs> to where where the play the play defensively, the physicality, all of it just changes again dramatically. And I think that was that's what's so fun about the playoffs, and that's why you need to get in the playoffs in order to ever challenge for anything. I think you know, like me and you have argued a little bit about like, well, if you can't be you know YB eight, then never have a chance to win at all. It's like, well, you know, if you ain't eighth, you ain't never going to be first either. <laughs> it's pretty hard, uh, you know, because it's such a different, you know, different atmosphere and the officials officiate different and you better be full, full grown and, 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 and mature as a player to play. And we, you know, we saw that. And I think the last tier you reach is the Turkish super league. That's what I'm being told. It's yes. the best league yep. in the world from all the information I'm being <laughs> <Sure>. told. So <laughs> that's, that's above yeah. the NBA finals. Yep. Yeah. The most pressure you could ever have in the world is to be MVP of the Turkish Super when, when you, when you hit that, <laughs> well, if he, if he, if he's a better NBA player than Hito Turkoglu, then he well, ought to go. That I agree five. with. Hito was very good. <laughs> that I agree with. Yeah. Hito was. <laughs> Hito was so much better than he got credit for. And imagine him now. Oh. Him in this NBA would be tremendous. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, he was the 16th pick the year that he was taken. And actually, that, that was a terrible draft. There's almost nobody any good. Uh, and I think Hito and Michael Red was in the second round. I mean, there's two or three guys, uh, but they were all down at the bottom of the first round or early second. And, uh, but but he know I mean six ten could guard threes fours, shoot threes spread the floor I mean good guy yeah pretty uh pretty amazing and you know uh, it's interesting that you said Hito uh, Turgulo only because uh, we we recently um, Blake had a uh, an article up uh, where he talked to Euro Euro Hoops Turkey about uh, with their staff about it and one of the things that they'd said was that they felt he was a better prospect than Hito Turgulo was. So let's get to uh, let's get to everybody's final prediction here. I want to make sure that we're locked in and able to be mocked for the rest of time here, on on what we think is going to happen here, um, uh, the twenty twenty draft, and um, so so I want everybody here to we can you can you can choose to the Kings make a make a pick at nine and then tell us who you think he's going to uh, who you think Monty McNair is going to pick. You can say that they're going to trade out of the draft, and if you want to give us a person, you can. Or you can say that the Kings are going to trade down and then name who you think the targets are going to be. But I want I want it nailed down in stone who you think or what you think the Kings are going to do and who you think they're doing it for. So, Tony, why don't I start with you and let's let's hear who you think what you think the Kings are going to do. Uh, this is probably the boring selection because people are have been projecting this for a while and they still are. 
But I do think if uh, Franz Wagner is there at nine, he's going to be the pick. And I think most people are going to be okay with it, myself included. And despite, you know, if I might, I actually, you know, I'd prefer both Moody and Shengun to Franz, but I still like Franz. And um, for all the the knocks that we have on him, I do think that there is a, and there's not that many knocks to be honest, but I do think the things that he needs to improve on are things that a lot of NBA players improve on. Um, so I, I'm not, you know, his shooting, that's a thing that is, is pretty, uh, guys get better at shooting in the NBA. They do, especially if they're hard workers and if they're not non-shooters and Wagner is not a non-shooter. Um, so I think he's the pick at nine and I'm, I'm totally cool with that. I think that's a good pick both for next year and, uh, you know, deep into the future because of his versatility. Brian, let's get yours. Well, I do expect that they'll trade the pick, but for what or who, I have no idea. Um, so I'll just say if they're going to stay at nine, I think that the pick will be Moses Moody if he's there. Um, I think that he offers more of a two-way upside than Franz. Um, I think his shooting's definitely going to be uh, enticing to a team built around De'Aaron Fox. And uh, I think his defense is nearly as versatile as Franz is. So I think he offers the right uh, balance of win now and long-term upside that Monty McNair is probably going to want with uh, his best asset of the uh, offseason. Brendan, let's hear it. What do you think? I think if Alperen Shangun somehow makes it past Detroit, that you have yeah. to take him. <laughs> yeah, he's there. No, I'm, I'm going. No, no, no. Uh, I'm going. No, no. Can you edit the rest of it out? I do have the power. No, no, Through no, the no. power of media, you can make this happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. I'm going to say Franz Wagner. Um, I don't think Moody makes it. I, I think that if Moody's there, that I would probably go Moody over Wagner. Um, but to me, it's just, I really want it to be one of those two guys. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if Moody went before nine. And I think Wagner is the one of the two available there. So Jerry, what do you, what's your final prediction here on, on the 2021 draft? Well, my prediction is that, that Moody will be the pick, but my hope, and I'm praying a little bit here, that the ninth pick and Bagley goes to Charlotte for Miles Bridges or to <laughs> Indiana for Miles Turner, either one. But Bridges, <laughs> Bridges would bring joy to, uh, to the Reynolds family. You know what, Jerry? Just just because we need more hope in this in this uh, podcast, I'll go with you. I'll st- I'll stick the same. I think the Kings are trading the pick, and just just for the sake of making Jerry happy, he's he's going. We're getting Miles Bridges here in the offseason, and we're going to be partying in Sacramento when it happens. So let's uh, let's go to our uh, Patreon question of the day. I know we've had a couple already, but Tony, why don't you ask one more for us? Uh, yeah. Um, so every week on this podcast, we ask uh, at least one question from our King's Herald patrons or our King's community on Twitter. Um, and then once a month, we take any questions that we don't use on the main show and put out a bigger Q&A um, exclusive to all our patrons at King's Herald, uh, patreon.com slash King's Herald. Uh, the question this week um, is sort of a historic question for Jerry that I was interested to hear the answer to as soon as I read it. Um, this question comes from Mike's tweeting account on Twitter, who's a, a great uh, member of the King's, King's Twitter community. Um, and he says, uh, have a question for Jerry. Is there a trade he made that he is still particularly proud of? One that makes him chuckle and think, like, can't believe that other team agreed to this. Um, and I'll, if you don't have one, you obviously have a lot of experience both uh, in the WNBA and the NBA. But if you don't have one that's directly applicable to you, uh, if there's a King's trade that you heard and then was like, man, I can't believe they agreed to this. Well, there's uh, 
there's three that I made that I would really feel like were home runs. And that was uh, the rights to Billy Owens and the third pick for Mitch Richmond. I think mm -hmm. that turned out pretty well. And, uh, and then later Travis Mays, uh, who we had taken with the 14th pick, but I really realized early on that he wasn't that good, but the league still hadn't. And uh, we got Spud Webb. <laughs> And, uh, you know, Spud played quite, quite well for a long time. And, and Travis was out of the league within a year, another year. And then uh, on the Monarch side, I traded a young player I drafted in the second round. was a pretty good young player, Akedra Holland Corn, for Kara Lawson. Uh, and, and really, she was, well, quite a bit better. And so there's so those, <laughs> those, those three. And, and, you know, and I, like I say, I think, obviously, uh, I thought Jeff, you know, made a lot of good, some really good trades and, and, uh, you know, certainly the Weber trade, uh, you know, for, for Mitch, who was, uh, basically winding down, you know, he, he wasn't the same Mitch that went out and then, and Otis Thorpe was part of the deal who Otis, who was, was pretty much at the end of it for Weber, who, uh, you know, obviously was the, the best, best player in King's history to date. So, uh, those, those come to mind, uh, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, I was talking to Jason Anderson of the B about this too. And I said, you know, two other trades that, that the, the way trades are supposed to be is, is Corliss Williamson, who was a 13th pick in the draft and a very good player, very good player and great guy. And, the, and Jeff traded him for Doug Christie. Now, Doug Christie wasn't better than Corliss, but he was better fit, you know, and that's what you learn when you get in the playoffs is that, okay, Pedro was coming. Uh, we don't really need both, but we need better help at the guard line. And then later, Jason Williams for Mike Bibby. Well, Mike really wasn't better than Jason. He was different and it fit better, a great shooter. And I, I've always said, it's like people say, boy, the Kings really won those trades. Well, they did and they didn't. I mean, it wasn't like Corliss was six man of the year on a world champion. Uh, Jason Williams was a starting guard on a world champion. So, yeah, the Kings did win, but, you know, it, the bottom line is it was value for value and, and more about fit than anything else. And, and that's what when you get to be try to be a good team, it, it is about that, you know, finding guys that can fit and make you better. They don't have to be better, but they have to fit and make you better. So that's my rant for the day. <laughs> that was a fantastic answer, Jerry. Let's go to our last segment of the day, uh, the Reynolds wrap-up. Jerry, what do you have for us today? Well, you know, I was just thinking, obviously, about the, the end of the playoffs. And I, I really certainly enjoyed the series. I think most of us thought that the Suns were going to win early. And, and uh, of course, that didn't happen. But the Bucks, I thought that I think the Bucks are such a great, not just a great story for hope for Kings fans. Let's put it this way. You know, in other words, small market, they won a championship. Uh, how they do it? They did it the way you have to do it. Draft, they drafted well. A 15th pick and a 39th pick were the two best players. Uh, okay, they traded well. Uh, you know, got, uh, what, Lopez and Tucker and Holiday by a trade. I think free agency, I think Connaughton, uh, Portis, and uh, Teague, I think, were, I think were free agents. So, I mean, but, but the bottom line is, you saw that's a world championship team. They didn't really need the lottery for any of it. And, uh, but they made smart picks. They developed them. 
Uh, they coached him up. Coach Budenholzer took a lot of criticism unfairly. Uh, and I think so. I don't recall any of the columnists that ripped into him apologizing, by the way. They never do. Uh, they just do the criticism part. But uh, but he coached him up. And uh, it's, a, it's a great story. And it's a great story. And it's a story, you know, that there is hope about changing quickly. Now, I know a lot of, you know, it's pretty hard to believe that, but but it, it can. It, you know, you know, the Kings, you know, last year got a terrific pick. And if they if they they just can't make any more mistakes. So anyway, that's that's all. I just think that that the Bucks are a great story for all small markets. For people say you can't win with a small market team. Of course you can. You just have to do it right. I think the other side of the floor was a good example too. Like I think Phoenix fits the same thing, right? They were just behind Sacramento what two years ago. Oh. Uh, you know, I, I, these guys have listened to me and got tired of me saying this, but I, I, I totally agree with that. And I mean that, you know, last year going into the, into the bubble, Phoenix was, had a worse record than the Kings, certainly the Knicks, the Hawks, uh, Golden State, all those teams had worse records than the Kings. Now what happened? Well, actually the truth is the lottery had nothing to do with their success. They all jumped way ahead and how they do it. Well, acquiring free agents, trades, good trades, coaching. In Nick's case, I think more is coaching change than anything other than. So, uh, you know, there's there's ways to do it. And and uh, but that that's a that's a great point. I mean, you know, Monty Williams, great job there. You got. But Chris Paul, you know, he of course, my final little thing. And I'll, I'll, I know you guys are. We'll probably say, well, he has finally been senile. But I'll, I'll tell you, I really believe if Oklahoma City had not blown it up, they could have contended in the West. You know, Stephen Adams and Jeremy Grant and Gallinari and Shea Gilgus Alexander and Chris Paul. Tell me that ain't the damn good team. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and now they're in great position to build it back up. But, you know, hey, you know, we'll see. We'll see if, how long it takes them to get that good again. Sure. Well, for all of us at uh, the Kings Herald, I'd like to thank you guys for listening to our uh, our, our massive uh, pre-draft show. I'd like to thank uh, Brendan and Bryant for coming on, and I'd like to thank uh, Jerry and Tony for uh, for sticking with us for two hours. This is a big one, and uh, and I'd like to thank all you guys as well for listening. And uh, hopefully, we uh, we see you in two weeks on the other side of the draft, and we have uh, things to celebrate and pop champagne over instead of uh, crying to our beer. So for all of us here at uh, the King's Herald, I'd like to thank you very, very much, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>